Good morning. Good morning. Okay, just checking to see if everybody's awake. If you're going to take a little nap here, then I want you also to get a little comfy too. So, so once again, welcome. I'm glad that you're here today. Those of you online as well from wherever you are worshiping from at home or whatnot or some, like I usually say, tropical location, we love you too. We are glad that you're here. And um, if you got a program, if you got a worship guide, you might want to take that out to follow along with today. Um, that's for you to take home and to... Um, uh, reread scriptures. There's little notes at the back of that too, or little questions in our doggy bag that are good for just any quiet time, maybe devotions that you do by yourself or maybe with uh, your family. You can check that out because today we are wrapping up our series, Jonah and the Fail. Jonah and the Fail, where we've been traversing through the book of Jonah in the Old Testament scriptures. And um, we're going to kind of jump right in today, but just in case if you forgot any of the story, you're going to kind of have this cemented into your mind. So you're going to be knowing the story of Jonah by heart, um, hopefully by the end of this week. But we're gonna, I'm going to give you a little recap of what's happened so far, and I'm going to ask you to help me fill in the blanks. Can you do that? Okay, so I'm going to pause and you just shout out whatever, um, something please appropriate um, that fits in the blank here. We're not doing Mad Libs here, this is by any means. But um, okay, so first off, Jonah was a prophet of God and God came to Jonah and told Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, Nineveh, Nineveh which was in Assyria, and to tell them to repent. But Jonah, in not too many words, said no, no, we won't go, right? And he gets on the ship in the other on a ship in the other direction, 2,500 miles, out of sight, out of mind, trying to get away from God's call. But he's on the boat, and God sends this storm, and there's waves crashing. It's a really, really bad, bad storm. And the sailors on board of the ship are like, "Man, this is jacked up. What's going on here?" This is not supposed to be happening. And they discover that the problem is Jonah. Jonah is the problem. He's the problem. And after a little negotiation, what do they do? They decide to throw him overboard. Right. He throw him overboard. He actually elects to do that. And then when he's in the water, God provides a fish a whale fish, it's actually fish in the original scriptures. It's a fish that swallows him and really rescues him from drowning from that big old storm. And in the belly of the fish, he remains for three days, but he also kind of comes to a conclusion about what's happened so far and what he, he should be doing. And he prays this, this long prayer, and in it he's like, okay, God, I want you to forgive me. I'm sorry. I'll do what you're calling me to do. And how many days later does the fish spit him out? Three. three. Spits him out three days later onto the shore. And then, this is what we talked about last week, beginning of last week's message. Jonah picks up in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Shanae, Shanae is the word, a second time saying, arise, go to the Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim it to the proclamation, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. And imagine that 
Jonah's standing at the gates of Nineveh, this great grand city that we're told is just tremendous, is miles long of walls and beautiful buildings, and he's standing there at the gates, which is this cultural epicenter. Think like London, New York, Chicago, LA, all put into one. Really, that's what kind of it was known as at the time. And Jonah's standing out there, and he's ready to proclaim it, but he has to do his little pregame stretches, right? He has to get ready for this because he thinks he's going to die. <laughs> like these are people that were the enemies of his people, of the Hebrews. And he's about to go in. And what does he say? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And what does he hear in response? Probably dead silence. But what happens? What happens? Nineveh falls on their knees and they repent. They say, God, forgive us. What? So these are the Assyrians. So these are like people that took things to a T when it came to very violent and vicious behavior, especially when they conquered people, that they tortured people, they murdered people. And these are people that are hearing this message and saying, oh my gosh, God, forgive us. And they go into this whole fast and, and they're starting to fast and they're put on sackcloth and the king himself gets off the throne and he's wearing sackcloth and he's telling everybody we need to repent and turn to God. And can you imagine Jonah at this point? How is Jonah feeling? I mean, get this, a guy who like ran away from God, remember? He ran away from God and then he comes back and then God uses him to bring 120,000 people to repentance. Look at this guy, how is he feeling? He's ready to fall on his knees in humility and be like, praise God, praise God, right? But we pick up in Jonah 4.1, and which tells us, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. What? What? What on earth? So, so get this, 120,000 people, like violent people, turned from their ways, turned to God, and... Jonah was used to do that. And what's his reaction? He became angry. He got angry. He was mad. He was displeased. The, the Hebrew word uh, that, that is translated greatly displeased is the Hebrew ra, ra. And it also means not just pleased, it also means evil evil, or to burn with fire. And I'm not talking about like the Denzel Washington movie, but the, the, to, to burn with fire from internally. And what's really interesting, this is the same word, the same word that's used previously when God looked at Nineveh before they repented. It's the same word used when God looked at that situation and saw it as evil. And God had that tinge of anger. So this, this sense of evil or burning with fire, greatly displeased, that kind of burning feeling that you get when you're like, ah, right? But this is after they repented. God experienced that or is described before, but Jonah looked at their repentance as they're turning to God as evil. What? It's confusing, right? And he became super angry. So what's going on here? What's happening in the scripture? That's what we're gonna dive into today. Well, 
Several years ago, um, when I was serving at a um, church in Virginia, um, those of you who know me know I have had a longtime mentor um, named Frank and Laura Lee, and they're over in Lancaster now. But um, uh, they've kind of known me since the beginning of my ministry, and I was serving at a church in Virginia, and they happened to be on sabbatical um, in the month of, of, when was that, in June. And um, they, took, they were taking sabbatical, which is kind of a break from ministry, uh, usually encouraged like every seven years or so for lead pastors. But they were on sabbatical and they were coming from Maryland. They decided to come and take a little tour and to visit me as well as head down south, go to Tennessee, see some places. They had rented this, this RV to drive. And so they made their way from Maryland, stopped to see me, to worship with me and visit and kind of see, uh, take them on a couple tours around town and just visit with them, spend some time. And then they hit the road. It was like right after Memorial Day, things were getting nice and warm and sunny outside. And they took their little tour down south. And um, about five days after they had left my place, I get a text message from my mentor's wife, Laura Lee, that said, we are in Charlottesville at the hospital. Frank has had chest pains and there's something wrong with his heart. Oh my gosh. So apparently, so this is just a little word of advice to everyone. If you're experiencing chest pains, like say something. Like don't go on apparently for two weeks having experienced chest pains and not do anything about it, especially when you're on a road trip in an RV and heading down south out of town and all that kind of stuff. So they ended up in UVA hospital. I go to see them and everything. And it turns out that Frank had to have a quadruple bypass. Um, only uh, early 50s, um, had no idea what was going on at all, quadruple bypass surgery, it was kind of crazy and all that kind of stuff. And I was really, really glad that he went and got checked out and thankfully he's been fine. Everything worked out well in that case. But, but can you imagine, like maybe you've been in, had a family member in the same situation or maybe you yourself, you know, that all of a sudden you have heart pains and lo and behold, you go to the doctors and they find something or they find something clogged and they have to put a stent in or whatever. But the thing is, with all those things, did that happen like in a week's period of time? No, no. The, 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 the work that was happening to damage the heart had probably been happening over a course of years, even decades, right? That's what we're told, that's the formation of heart disease, is it develops over time, it's kind of like a quiet, silent killer, and it isn't until the pain happens that you realize that there's something wrong. Well, in this series, we've been talking about failure and how we fail, how we fail one another, how we fail ourselves, how we fail God, but we learn that God is a God of grace and a God of second chances, but there is a type of failure that's much more harmful than the things that we do. It's much more harmful because it's a failure that infects a person with anger and blocks peace and often bleeds into many areas of life. And it's a condition that's called spiritual heart failure. Spiritual heart failure. See, spiritual heart failure, just like heart failure, develops under the surface over time and becomes a silent killer. See, spiritual heart failure is also a silent killer, and it's something that we see that Jonah has, but it's also something that we can also see in us. We do too. I mean, think about this. 
Have you ever been angry when someone else got what you wanted? Have you ever been angry when someone else was successful, when they got that promotion, maybe they got into the school that you wanted to go to? Uh, Maybe you got angry because they didn't get in trouble when you got in trouble? Or maybe you got angry when someone gets what they don't deserve? Have you ever been angry or when you secretly, or maybe you even secretly or overtly hate a group of people? because they're to this or they're to that. Or, and it's when you, see, when you fail to see your own failure, but you look at everybody else's. See, that's spiritual heart failure. That's spiritual heart failure. When we look around and those kinds of feelings and that anger kind of wells up in us. And Jonah, we see in the story, he's got some issues here. He's got some issues. We're going to unpack some of his issues. I mean, he may need to like see Dr. Phil or sit on Oprah's couch for a couple minutes, but we're going to examine him. We're going to kind of open his insides for a couple minutes because the symptom of spiritual heart failure, it first starts with an angry heart, an angry heart. So let's continue on. So verse two continues, says he prayed to the Lord. Let's just pause there. And this is really interesting to me. Because the first verse says, it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry, and then he prayed to the Lord. And if you look at, there's four chapters in Jonah, four chapters in the book of Jonah. Jonah only prays twice. He prays twice. He prays once when he's inside the fish, when he's inside the whale. He prays once inside the whale, and then he prays a second time now when he's angry. That's the only times that he prays. And for some of us, that's kind of a mirror of our lives, isn't it, right? We pray when trials strike and we pray when we're unhappy. But then it continues. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, this was not, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, the 2,500 mile journey, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. Take my life? Why? Take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Wow, Jonah's going off the deep end here, right? I mean, he just got out of the water, and he's jumping off again. This is extreme. But have you ever done that? Have you ever been like, there was like the little thing, and then you went, and you blew it, you blew it out of the water, out of the sky, and now looking back, you're kind of like embarrassed about it. Like, why did I react that way, right? Why did this happen? Well, we see Jonah's angry, in case I haven't told you that yet. He's angry. But why? He's angry that God forgave the Ninevites. He's angry that God forgave this group of people. He's angry, and he just can't deal with it. And the Ninevites, once again, are the most vile, evil, horrible to the Hebrew people. But Jonah is saying, he's saying, first, thank you, God, for being patient with me, but I'll never be patient with Nineveh. So so take out, let's do fill in the blanks here. Thank you, God, for being patient with me, but I'll never be patient with blank. Fill in that blank in your head, right? Thank you, God, he says, for giving me a second chance. I will never, ever, ever give Nineveh a second chance. It's anger. It's anger, but it's also resentment, too. I don't know if you know the difference between anger and resentment, but resentment is much more vague than anger. 
It's kind of that boiling inside. It's kind of like eating a Twinkie a day over time and then it building up to something that hurts in your heart kind of five years down the road. See, there's always going to be a Nineveh. There's always going to be a Nineveh. And psychologically, focusing on the Nineveh, what does it do? It takes your eyes off of you. Jesus talks about planks and eyes, kind of gives that kind of story, that, that we focus on what everybody else has, but we fail to look at what's inside of us. But forgiveness is the remedy here. Forgiveness is what God is expressing to these very evil people, to these Ninevites. It, it, see, forgiveness, we kind of get this messed up in our minds. We think that forgiveness is about them, but it's not. It's really about us. It's really about us. It's about you and your heart. You can't change how people will act, what they'll do, but you can change what's going on inside your heart. See, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when he had been abandoned and harmed, and what did he do? What was his response? He said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Showing God's heart. God's heart is a heart of forgiveness. But Jonah's not interested in that concept right now. He's not interested. Instead, what is he feeling? Anger, anger, the symptom of anger. And God looks at him though, and I love this. This is like my favorite part of this story. Uh, God looks at him and asks him a really, really good question. So Jonah says all that, and then in verse four picks up, the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Isn't this great? This is like good stuff here. Do you have good reason to be angry? It's a great question. It's good for us to ask ourselves the next time that we're ready to take that little thing and blow it up, right? Do I have good reason to be angry here? Am I going a little stream? Am I going overboard? See, God sees the 120,000 people who came to repent. Isn't that time to celebrate, Jonah? Isn't that good news? But what did Jonah do? Jonah throws what we often call a pity party instead. So continuing, verses five through nine. Then Jonah went out from the city. This is Jonah's response. So God asks the question. Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. He's waiting, right? So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about this plant. But God appointed a worm when, when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so he became faint and begged with all his soul to die again, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. So what's the cause here? So the symptom is anger, but the cause is pride, is pride. See, Jonah, Jonah is taking his ball and his toys and he's deciding to hit the road and go home. Jonah is what I like to call a man-child. Raise your hand if you know a man-child. Absolutely, don't point, no point, no pointing. Uh, but he's a man-child, right? He's acting in this way. He's not getting the answer from God that he wants. So what does he do? He leaves the city. He leaves town. 
He says, okay, God's not responding in the way that I want, so I'm hitting the road, I'm getting out. And not only that, but I'm gonna look from a distance and see if God smites him anyway. Like, I can't wait for that to happen, those, those people. And it's hot weather. While he's waiting for them to get destroyed, what does God do? Does God shake his head and just send a lightning bolt down to strike Jonah and blow him to smithereens? No, God provides. What? Right? God provides. He provided a whale to rescue Jonah, and he provides here. So watch this theme, though. God provides a plant, and Jonah feels what? Happy, right? He's super happy. Why? Because he thinks he deserved it. He thinks he deserved the plant, that God should be taking care of him, right? He did everything right. He's the one that was obedient here. It's interesting, both theologians and philosophers agree that pride itself is the deadliest of sins, that it's the root of evil because it places the self at the detriment of the other. See, the problem is pride is almost impossible for us to see in the mirror. Nobody ever looks in the mirror and says, oh, that's not your prideful today, right? That I really wrestle with that. Think about other sins you would list and say, yeah, I kind of said this and I didn't mean that or whatever. Nobody ever really lists pride. But pride diminishes our capacity to say what needs to be said, to hear what needs to be heard, and to give what needs to be given. Pride is, is what we see and we can diagnose, though, when we see what happens when things don't go our way. We can see it arise. We can see, but then we see what God does. What does God provide after the plant? He also provides a worm, right? He provides a worm. And sometimes, I don't know about you in your life, but sometimes God provides weird and very random things. Sometimes you got to laugh, right? You got to laugh and be like, okay, God did this. Why on earth, right? But then also, what does God provide? An east wind. He provides the beach land breeze. I don't know if you've ever been on the beach and it wasn't the sea breeze. You got the land breeze and you start sweating buckets. And it's even worse. And it's, it's horrible. But Jonah sees those things and he doesn't like them. He's unhappy with them. He's never content. He's only happy when he gets what he wants. He only sees that as being something about God kind of looking at him wrong. Uh, there's this uh, elementary school book, favorite book of mine, um, called Alexander and the Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Does anybody remember this growing up or reading this to your kids maybe? Um, highly recommended, um, especially when you're like going through that kind of spell of, of bad days and things. Well, Jonah is Alexander. He's having a bad day. But in the book, it's interesting who makes the bad day even worse? The main character. It's the main character. In this story, it's Jonah who makes that bad day even worse. See, the good news is God is the God of the horrible, no good, very bad days, but not necessarily by sending lightning bolts down, but being among us and with us. Because what does God do when all this is happening to Jonah? He's there with him. He never abandons him. But we have those bad days and we curse God. We say God just like Jonah, maybe not in so many words, but I have good reason to be angry even to death. Maybe you've said something similar. Uh, uh, but God, we don't really want that kind of God in our lives, do we? We want the God only of the good days, not the bad days. We don't want the horrible, no good, very bad days. We want to see a God who gives plants when we want them. 
gives our immediate needs over the long-term needs that might be interfering with. But maybe God's also the God of the wind and the storm and the worm and the, the east wind and the disturbance. Maybe the God in our lives is also maybe rocking the boat a little bit and disturbing us with good reason to bring our attention to something else. And my question to you is, what if we would become people who not only beg for the plant to satisfy us, but we become spiritually mature who also sees God's presence in the worm and sees him in the scorching sun because we see him as developing Christ in us and maybe even leading us in a new direction. But we see in this story, Jonah's response is different. Jonah's just a mess. He's a mess here. God tries to engage him though. He continues. God does not relent. And this is the last part of the scripture and this is the conclusion of the book. Are you ready for it? Verses nine to 11, then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, you have compassion for the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? The end, that's it, closed book. That, literally, that, that is the end of the book here. But what well, I think we see in it though is the cure. It's the cure for spiritual heart failure. And that is that we have to receive God's heart. That's what God's communicating. We have to receive his heart. Jonah's suicidal, he's lying on the ground in fetal position over losing his plant at this point. It's like ridiculous, just like over the top. But here's the reality of the crazy town kind of stuff that's happening here is that for Jonah, life is about Jonah. Life is only about Jonah. Life is about Jonah and getting and feeling what he wants and thinks that he needs. What's interesting is that the book of Jonah, if you didn't know this, the book of Jonah is actually read by Jews on the holiday of Yom Kippur, on Yom Kippur, which is actually coming up on October the 4th. And it's a tradition of reading this because Yom Kippur is known as the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. It's a theme of repentance. And the reason why they read this is because it's a reminder to them and to us that we are Jonah. We are Jonah. We also are Nineveh. And if God accepted their repentance, we're reminded too that he also accepts ours. See, what God responds to Jonah is you did nothing to deserve the plant, neither did Nineveh do anything to deserve my grace. But God says, it's up to me, not to you. It's not about you. I don't know, there's days that I wish that I were God, right? And I'm like, I wish, if I were God, I'd be doing this, this, and there's other days I'm like, nope, I'm so glad, right? I'm so glad, like, let God be God. Without that question, without that thinking that we know everything, it's not about us. See, Jonah missed something really important here. Jonah was invited into God's story to be a part of it, to be a part of the repentant story of Nineveh and the work that God was doing. But what was he doing? He was mourning over a dead plant, but he missed celebrating the 120,000 people who turned to God. Think about that. Do we miss Things? Do we miss what God is doing and celebrating the joy of what God is doing 
because we too, we just want to have a sip of water to sit in the shade and to be undisturbed and to get our own way. See, God wanted Jonah to be a part of it and to celebrate with him. But the only way to do that, you can't manufacture that, the only way to do that is to receive God's heart, to receive his heart. You can't be argued into it. You can't convince someone with rational ideas or inspiration or books of theology. It needs to happen in here, to, that we need God's heart. And, and how do you know that you begin to grow and, and receive God's heart? Because you begin to see people just as yourself. You begin to see others just as broken as you are in need of grace, but also beautiful. So this is how the book of Jonah really ends, not the beautiful Sunday school tale that's wrapped up and, with the, and tied with a bow. We don't know what happens after this. We don't know what became of Jonah the prophet. But what we do know is that God wants to give you a new heart. God wants to renew your heart. Uh, see, another prophet says it like this in Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, centuries later, this would be fulfilled in the promise of Jesus' coming as a gift of the Holy Spirit to renew us from the inside out, that putting in practices and laws and things from the outside in, it doesn't work. It has to happen from the inside out to us individually, but also us collectively as the church, as, as followers of Christ, to know that God is working in us and through us, and that our posture would always be one of humility, but that our heart too would be broken for the things that break God's heart. So many times we're angry at life. We're angry at someone. We're angry at even something that we don't even know or can put a finger on. But we need to acknowledge, does our heart need healing? Does it need hope? Do we need revival inside of us? Maybe you, maybe you need a bypass of some sort, a heart bypass. But we can't change ourselves. You can only allow yourself to be changed. So are you Jonah? Are you Nineveh? Do you see yourself in this story? And there's only one real response. Because God wants to give you a new heart. He won't intrude. He won't push his way. But will you let him in? Let's pray.